we're going to be going through a lot of verses today. Um, as I mentioned before, there are nearly two and a half thousand verses on uh, finances in the Bible. We're going to hit all of them today. Uh, that's not true. You should have laughed. Did you really think I was going to do that? Wow. Okay. Um, but we are going to hit a few. So um, if you are using the Bible app, all of the verses that I'm going to talk through are there. Um, and also, if you access the podcast later, so if you're listening to the podcast now, um, or if you go ahead later and recap what we've been talking about, there should be a PDF um, on the website next to the podcast screen um, where you can access all of the slides that we're going to use today, so that'll have all the verses as well. All right, so um, we have been going through a series called Financial Freedom. We're in week two of that. Last week, we uh, looked at how this financial freedom concept is really not a simply practical thing, but it is a very deeply spiritual issue, if you remember. If you haven't um, heard that, if you weren't here last week, I really recommend you go back um, and listen to the podcast, not because I'm amazing and you really need to hear as much of me as possible, but because it really sets the stage for where we're moving forward in the series and really setting a foundation of seeing financial freedom not as an act of balancing a bank account or getting to a certain number in our banks, but rather seeing God moving through our finances and seeing who God is in that realm as well. And also seeing who we are up against. You'll remember last week our key verse came from John 10.10, 10, where it says Jesus is telling us that the thief, this is Satan, his purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So these are the two sides. And the, the fine, our finances are a battleground where Satan and Jesus are going neck to neck, head to head, um, trying to show us the path that they want us to take. Um, and so Satan is trying to use finances to steal life from us, to draw us away from God, to get us focused in, to get us holding tight onto what we have or focusing deeply on what we don't have and what we want to have, uh, that we become distracted from God. Jesus, on the other hand, guiding us to having a much more open-to-him view of our finances. All right, so the series is really not about how, telling you how to spend well or how not to spend well. That's not going to be the kind of list you will get out of a service like this. Instead, we want to challenge some of the attitudes and the perceptions that we have about what money is and what our role with money is um, and see what the Bible tells us about that. Cool? Yeah, we're all tracking again. We're back on track. So the first attitude that we're going to be challenging, the one actually that is probably the hardest one to attack and yet the most important is this question of ownership versus stewardship. And to help us really explore this, uh, because it's a really big issue, is I want to call on a couple of the brightest minds of our generation to help us really engage the topic of owning versus stewarding. So check this video out here. Hey! Okay. Here's the plan. 
We borrow a few bucks, just a small loan from the briefcase, and we find ourselves some reasonable lodgings. Good plan. And we'll, we'll keep track of all the money we spend with IOUs. We'll be meticulous, right down to the last penny. Whatever we borrow, we pay back. Absolutely. We're good for it. But where is our bond? This is the Hotel Danbury Presidential Suite, gentlemen. Normally reserved for royalty, visiting dignitaries, illustrious stars of stage and screen. We have shortly coming the Emperor and Empress of Japan. And of course, Princess Charles and I, when they were together, used to frequent the hotel constantly. We'll take it! Okay, so Brightest Minds may be a little bit of a reach, but there's this interesting illustration within there about money that you own versus money that you control but actually belongs to someone else, right? Um, as you can tell, I'm not so great with that. So some of you will come across this a lot. I, I have, um, as part of my job, I have two cards. So I have one debit card from my own bank account and one debit card from the church bank account. Some of you in your jobs will have a work card as well, yeah? So one of these cards, I control all of the money in both of these cards, but one of these cards has severe restrictions on what I can spend on. There is accountability in place. If I misuse the funds in one of these cards, then I get into a whole lot of trouble and I could end up in, in really hot water. So even though I control it, there's a very strong sense that I don't own that money, right? And the other one is my work card. <laughs> a little marriage humor there for you. But we get how this concept works, right? We understand that there is money that is ours, and then sometimes we have money that we control, but we're really just using it for someone else. That's stewardship. Right? So ownership, stewardship, we get that. But the problem comes when we start looking from a spiritual sense and we ask the question, my work card aside, my debit card, my own personal card, am I an owner or a steward? And if it is not owning it, as you probably sense I'm going to move in that direction today, if that's the case, if we are not owners but stewards, what does that mean for the resources that we have? So that's what I want to look at today because it may seem like a simple question, especially when we're sitting in church and we're surrounded by Christians and we're looking at the Bible. We kind of know where this is going to go. But at the same time, if we don't really explore it, we could gloss over this and miss something really, really important. So what I want to do is I want to explore a story that Jesus told. 
Now, I mentioned last week that nearly half of Jesus' stories were talking about money and possessions. And this parable that we're going to look at is one of those. It comes from Matthew 25. It's quite a famous parable. If you've been around church for a while, you probably have heard this parable before. If you've been in my small group for the last few months, you've definitely heard this one before because we explored it. And so you may be sick of it already. But here we go. You have zero control over this. All right. So Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had um, entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant again. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. This is where things kind of take a turn. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I set it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who, have, who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, so there's a lot going on in this story, obviously. And, you know, your first impression is probably something along the lines of, man, this master is a real, insert your own word here, right? I mean, he's coming down pretty harshly on this guy. I mean, he buried the guy's money. He didn't lose any of it. He got back exactly what he was given. Seems fairly responsible to me, right? But the problem is, of course, what we're doing is we're looking at this story with our physical world lens glasses on, right? We're seeing this through the way that we would understand business transactions to happen in our world. And in that case, yes, I don't think he would probably be treated quite as harshly as that. But remember, we have to look at this through spiritual lenses. And when we do, we see that there's so much more going on at play here. And with that in mind, there are several concepts of stewardship 
that will help us see the finances in the right direction, in the right perspective. Because again, it's not about the relationship between the servants and the money. It's about the relationship between the servants and the master. The money is just the prop. It's just what is this, the subject matter. So we're going to have a look at some concepts. And the first one that comes up in this passage is one that you kind of sense was coming. And that's this. We don't own anything. We don't own anything. I mean, this is clear from the Bible. And in, this, in the passage, we, we see, he says he called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them. Obviously, in the story, the money belongs to the master. And again, using the story, looking at the story through our spiritual lenses, we know that God is talking about himself. He is the master. And what he has entrusted to us is everything that we have. Everything that we own. In fact, have a look in Psalm. Psalms 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Hence the master-servant analogy. For he laid the earth's foundations on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. He did that. It's his. In Deuteronomy, we hear again, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to his ancestors as it is today. So he has given us the ability. Everything that we can do and have done was given to us by him. When God created the world, he created everything. It's all his. We're simply entrusted with it. So we don't own anything. Now, you're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, I know this. I know this is true. You know, I've read my Bible and I've read these passages and I get it. I don't own anything. And all of this is swirling up in your head because I know this is what happens with me. And it's swirling up in our head, but it doesn't all quite make it down to our hearts, to the core of our beliefs. Do we really live our lives based on the idea that God owns everything? Have we given control? Because see, this issue right here is the key to everything. It is the key to this whole financial freedom thing. It's the key to freedom of any kind. It's the key to humanity itself. We don't own anything. He is the master. He owns it all. Sometimes I think we, we come into trouble when we start thinking about our money and the church and, and we think about our resources and we start thinking how much we should give to God. You know, and even, even when we're being really spiritual, we say things like, I need to give God everything in my life. But do you see the fundamental problem with that? How can you give God something he already owns? It's not giving God anything. It's simply acknowledging he already owns it. So I am not being this great philanthropic person by giving God everything that I own. I'm simply wising up to the fact that God's in control anyway. I'm simply getting out of the way a little bit. When we understand that, as hard as that is, as hard as that is to really grab hold of, once we do... It unlocks 
everything else. It unlocks so much about how we can live our lives the best possible way. It unlocks how we can experience true freedom in our lives. And there's something very important that it leads us to ask. And that's the second concept. If God owns everything and he has entrusted it to us, what does that say about us? Because we kind of take this thing like, oh, I'm just a servant, I'm useless, I have nothing to offer, I am lowly and God is the master. And in a sense that's true, but yet the story plays out in such a way that he is showing us that we have something to offer. We, he is entrusting us. Consider, like, he's given this to us for a reason. Have a look at verse 15. He gave the bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. Catch this. Dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Think about this. This master has three servants. He doesn't have to give them a dime. He doesn't owe them anything. He doesn't need to give them anything. He doesn't need to entrust them to anything. In fact, if he really wants to get a great investment, he probably should have gone to the bank himself, invested it himself. But instead, he looks at his three servants and he says, you know what? You have an ability. You have something that can help me. You have something that can extend my wealth, which again, thinking in spiritual terms, is God's kingdom. And he looks at us and he says, I have built you, I have made you, I've poured these abilities and skills into you, I see them, you are valuable, you have great value to my kingdom, so much value to my kingdom that look, I am going to entrust to you my entire creation. Genesis 1, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. It's all entrusted to us because he sees something in us. I heard it said that this parable, and going back to Matthew, that this parable is a statement of the grace of God. That when he gives the talents to those servants, it's an act of grace. It seems the story doesn't really sound like that, but when we think about it in the terms, they, didn't, they weren't owed anything. They had nothing to say, we should get this. But God gave it to them anyway. Because he's got something for them to do. He's partnering with them. He's bringing them into the enterprise. That is a huge statement, especially in that ancient culture. Servants were not given that kind of um, authority and respect that often. And yet this is what God gives us. He wants us to be part of what he is doing. So if we accept and we grapple with this idea that we don't own anything, God is in control of everything, and then we see that despite the fact that he owns everything and we own nothing, he still has given us something. And he's given us resources, time, our money, our abilities, our opportunities, our position in society, our jobs, all of these things he has given us for a reason, to extend his kingdom, to build his kingdom, to invest it, 
the way that the servants were expected to invest that money. We are to invest it in God's enterprises. The details of that, that's things that we can talk about. We can have discussions. We can work out with God. He guides us in that. But the concept is that I take my money and I invest it to build God's kingdom, not my own. Right? We get that. If we can accept that to be true, then the third concept comes right on the heels of that. And that is how we use our resources matters to God. The how matters. What we do with what he has given us is important to him. Look at verse 19 of our story. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. That's the other part of stewardship, isn't it? You know, there's the entrusting part. We have this responsibility and, and, and we've been entrusted and valued enough to be given something to use. But there is this accountability on the other end, isn't it? There's this accountability that God's going to come and ask us, so how did it go? What did you do? And if we look in our spiritual lens, we realize this story, he is talking about the end times. He's talking about when he returns, right? He's talking, in fact, this story is couched in, in several stories over a few chapters, talking about when Jesus returns and when everything is kind of rolled up and, and we go and face God and he says, all right, let's see how this has gone. And one of the questions he's going to ask us is, how did you use the resources I gave you? Your time, your money. It's an important question. And what we see in this story is actually the stakes are very, very high. We saw what happened to that third servant who did not do anything. And again, we're like, man, that seems harsh. Especially when you consider in the context of all of this, he's talking about judgment, about hell. That the servant who, who didn't invest the money but still gave it back to him was sent to hell. Like, whoa, what's going on here? But again, we look at this. What was he given? Not just some money to make God's bank account bigger. God entrusted that person, saw that person, is in control of that person, gave them an order and an instruction, and they rejected him from it. Out of fear, in this case, sometimes we find that it's out of our own desires, the things that we want. We want control around lives. And we are pushing God away. We aren't trusting the leadership in our lives. This is why the fact that God owns everything, that he is in control, he owns even us, is so important to understanding this. It's not just about spending right. It is about giving up control to God and giving our lives to him. That is what it means to be a Christian. Are we going to do that perfectly every time? No. Is there going to be mistakes? Yes. Is there grace for that? Yes, there is. But we're not talking about one mistake here. We are talking about a servant who, through the entire duration of the master being away, continued to reject his master's leadership. Continued to not trust his leadership, and hid it away. 
that's not who God is. God is not someone you can just run away from. God is not someone you can hide away from. Sounds really harsh, but God is not someone that you can reject without him rejecting you. That's the story of what's happening here. It's really deep, heavy, harsh stuff. But I would be remiss if I did not speak what what the Bible says. And so we kind of look at this third servant and we think, man, that's really hard because this master went away and he comes back and now he's doomed. But what isn't in this story, and yet is throughout the entire context of the biblical story that Jesus is telling, that God is giving us, is a fourth concept. It helps us truly understand what's happening here. And that is this. We're not doing this alone. See, we get this idea from the story of the master that he went away, you know, and then he wasn't there at all, right? Because God was making a point, Jesus was making a point with this. But we know that Jesus, he physically left this world, but then what? He sent his spirit. He never leaves us alone. So we are not sitting there by ourselves with all of these resources that God has given us with this mandate to invest them and no help. Like, what do I do? Well, God comes with us. And he says, I will be with you. In fact, my favorite, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, for together, you will produce much fruit. Your investments will be great. Your two bags of silver will turn into four. Your five bags will turn into ten. You don't have to be good at this. You just have to give yourself to it and let God lead you and guide you. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So do you see what's happening in the story of this third servant? If he is us, right, if we are one of the servants... It is not about, I'm afraid God, he's a big, powerful God, and so I'm afraid I'm just going to responsibly hide my money away. What is happening is, is God has said, I am with you. There is no excuse. I'm with you. I've given you the power of me to live your life. All you need to do is relinquish control. See the opportunities I'm giving you. Follow my lead, and I will lead you to an investing life, a life that builds the kingdom of God, so that when you come and you are held accountable before me, I will see that you follow me, that you were being who you were made to be, my servant. That's the story of what's going on here. All right, so this is really, really hard. This is one of those messages that I, I mean I struggled with putting it together. And I'm hoping you hear God through this and not just me. Because this is such a hard thing to take on. But it's so important. And it unlocks everything else. How? How does it unlock freedom? How do I get to financial freedom by becoming a slave? <laughs> How do I enslave myself to God and that frees me? Consider what happened to the other two servants when they were presented to God having given their life to him the master was full of praise well done my good and faithful servant he says 
You've been faithful in handling this small thing. I will give you great many more responsibilities, which again, in spiritual lens, this is what heaven is. We'll give you so much more. Let's celebrate together. When we give ourselves over to God, when we embrace our role as his servant, counter-cultural or counter-intuitive as that is for us as humans, when we give ourselves to it, we find out that this is exactly who we were made to be. And there is freedom being on the path that takes us to this place where we hear good and faithful servant. Well done. Let's celebrate. A lot to take on. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to leave it there. If you have questions or, or, or you want to talk through, pray through some of that, come and see me afterwards or come and see one of our leaders or, or talk to someone you came with. Um, pray together about this. I'll say it one more time. This is a hard thing, but embracing our role of who we are unlocks everything else when it comes to financial freedom and freedom as humans because we are made to be like God. And this is how that happens. Let me pray. Lord, we... Um, I don't know, we can be stubborn sometimes, I guess. Uh, we, we struggle to give up control of, of anything. The idea of giving up control of everything seems almost too hard to do. And so we rely on, on your strength to, to allow us to do that. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that constantly, every day, you forgive us, you pick us back up. That when we come to you, you come to us. We are not rejected by you. When we humble ourselves, you fill us with grace. It's a beautiful thing. Help us to live lives that are meaningful to you, that we see everything that you have given us belongs to you. And you want us to enjoy it, and you want us to have good things, and you want us to live a rich life, but on your terms, and investing in your kingdom. So guide us in that. Help us to really take this on board. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.